Right, we're continuing, actually we're concluding our series on encounters with Jesus today. And last week, um, Paul was looking at the life of Peter, how Jesus called out his identity and his destiny. He restored him when Peter denied him. And God can do the same for us too. You know, he calls out more in us. He has more for each of us. And he can restore us when we mess up. But this week, the encounter that I'm going to share with you is totally different from all the other encounters. Because this morning, we are thinking about Mary, who is the mother of Jesus. And of course, Mary encountered Jesus in a way that no one else did, because she carried him in her womb and gave birth to him. So the first time um, that Mary hears about this, the first time that she hears about what is going to happen to her, is when the angels appear to her to announce that she'll give birth to the Messiah. And that is called the Annunciation, which is a big word. But basically, the message of the angel is the gospel message. So when the angel appears to Mary, he's describing who Jesus is and what he will do. And in some ways at this point, Mary is a bit like us. Because at this point, she has not met the earthly person of Jesus, neither have we. And when we look closely at Mary's response to the angel, we find that she responds in such a wonderful and moving way. And in this shining example, we can get insights into how we can respond when we encounter Jesus. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. But I've asked Kathy to come and read for us from the Bible. If you want to look in your Bible, it's Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. This is when I wish I had the large print Bible with me. (laughs) This is my little Bible. (coughs) The birth of Jesus foretold in Luke 1, verse 26. In the six months of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his descendant, uh, of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, 
and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfil his promises to her. Thank you. Okay. That is actually amazing when you think about it, that even that last bit. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, that was enough for the baby in her womb, who we know was John the Baptist, to leap for joy. You know, Jesus in Mary's womb, and just hearing Mary's voice and being in her presence with Jesus in her womb was enough for Elizabeth to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just wanted to go back to verse 31. Peter, can you go to the next? Thank you. Because this is pivotal um, here, because we hear from the angel who Jesus is. There's descriptions here of who Jesus is. He, he says he's the son of the Most High, reigning forever. His kingdom will never end. And this child who's about to be born, he's not just a political king. His kingdom will last forever. And the angel says to Mary, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. So this is our God, a supernatural, eternal being coming into the world through a miraculous birth. So the very divine nature of God is implanted in Mary in physical form. So he's both divine and human. That is astounding. That is the doctrine of the incarnation. So the Son of God assumed a human nature and was born. I love it in John 1 in the message when it says, The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. And his name is Jesus, which means the God who saves. The Bible says this, it, that he is the way of salvation. And what a shock that must have been for Mary. You know, we, um, you might not know this, but she was actually only 14 years old. She was very poor. She was a peasant. And for her to um, experience this, she was going to face disgrace. And yet this disgraced, unwed peasant girl is today one of the most famous human beings in the history of the world. Um, you guys probably know that I like the Jesus Storybook Bible. Just say I've got faith like a child. But this wee bit is what it says about this passage in it. It says, Mary, you're going to have a baby, a little boy. You will call him Jesus. He's God's own son. He's the one. He's the rescuer. Wait. God was sending a baby to rescue the world, but it's too wonderful, Mary said and felt her heart beating hard. How can it be true? Is anything too wonderful for God, Gabriel asked. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes could see, and she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do. What is it that made Mary great? Why do we know about a young peasant girl from thousands of years ago? It's the way that she responds to God and this message. And she does four things, and I just want to look at those four things now so that we can learn about how we can respond. So the first thing Mary does is she thinks. She uses her powers of reason. Verse 29 says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. 
And the word wandered that we see in this verse is delogistical, which means to use logic to reason with intensity. So Mary was working all this out. She was figuring out, how can this be true? And this message was really difficult for Mary to understand and get her head around, as it is for many people today. You know, the proclamation that the creator God is coming into a girl's womb, like that is hard for anyone to get their head around. That is a major challenge. So Mary ponders what the angel says. She weighs up this claim and she concludes that it is true. And I think if Mary can do that, it's important for us to reason and to think through the Christian message. But I think for some of us, that is a scary thing to do because if we wonder, if we think, if we reason, and then we conclude that this gospel message is true, then we have to do something about it. And this message to Mary from the angel, the Annunciation, it basically pushes the exclusivity of Jesus right in our face. I think it demands a response and it shows us that there is work to do. Um, I was thinking about Mary reasoning and thinking all this through and it actually reminded me of when I first became a Christian when I was a teenager and um, I went to um, a Bible union weekend at school. That was basically how I became a Christian um, through the kids in my school inviting me to BU, it was called, we called it. And I can't remember the speaker's name, I really can't, but this verse that he spoke on over the whole weekend has stuck with me through all those years. It's 1 Peter 3.15. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And I want to ask you guys this morning, have you thought through your faith? Have you thought through what you believe? Are you able to give a reason for the hope that you have? Especially at Christmas time, you know, I think this is a wonderful opportunity. Like, I hope when you see those flyers, you're mentally going through a list in your head of who can I invite? Who can I, who's in my life who would love, I would love to know Jesus? Who can I bring along to the Christmas service or whatever? You know, um, we have hope in our hearts, and at Christmas, that should be really evident. You know, maybe you're living differently. Maybe people around you see a difference because you're not all about the Christmas parties, the mountains of presents. I hope that people can notice a difference. And if your friend or colleague asks you about that, you know, why do you go to that church? Why do you believe that stuff? Why aren't you getting drunk at the Christmas party or whatever it is? You know, could you, with gentleness and respect, give them an answer? Could you give a reason for the hope that you have? And you might think, yeah, no problem, that's fine. I could give an answer to that. But um, I remember when we were doing our assessment for church planting and they asked us loads of questions um, over a few hours. And one of the questions they asked us was, um, just like give a scenario, like say you're in the park with, with your kids and you have to, someone says to you, what do you do? And you say, well, I'm planting a church called Carrick Vineyard, blah, blah, blah. And you have to explain in 60 seconds, well, what's that all about? You know, why are you planting a church? You think you'd know the answer, but actually um, it's quite hard to articulate sometimes. So just want a wee challenge over Sunday lunch. Um, why don't you pretend you're a stranger, you don't know the other person at the table, and say, so tell me, why do you go to church, or what do you believe, and see how articulately that 
I can't even speak now, you can answer that. Because it is actually hard when someone puts you on the spot. So can we give a reason for the hope that we have? Um, just a wee test for you today. The next thing that Mary does, the second thing is, she expresses her doubts openly. In verse 34, she says, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she's still thinking, she's still reasoning. She's not just saying, well, you're an angel. This is a bit of a miracle. I'll just believe anything you say. She's saying, asking something that any rational person would ask. How can I have a child if I am not having sex? She openly expresses her doubt to an angel. And I think this shows a willingness to be honest about her uncertainties and her questions. You know, she's not just going, oh, that's crazy, that's impossible, and walking away. She's asking questions. She's not putting up a wall. But when you ask a real question like that, it makes you vulnerable. You know, Mary's question to the angel asks for information and leaves her open to the possibility of an answer that will cause her to have to do something to shift her views. And the amazing thing about this is the answer that the angel gives to Mary, which is one of the great statements in the Bible. In verse 37, it says, For no word from God will ever fail. Or I love the version that says, For with God, nothing will be impossible. And the only reason we get that extra revelation is because Mary doubted, because she was willing to ask her question. And just think of how much those words will have encouraged, well, it's encouraged me in my life and many people over the centuries, for with God, nothing will be impossible. So are we willing to honestly and humbly express our doubts and questions? Are we in community where we can do that? Because I really believe when we do that, we can encourage each other in ways that we won't even realize. And are we willing to be vulnerable knowing that if our question is answered, that that will require us to act. The third thing that Mary does is that she surrenders completely. After she hears those words, nothing is impossible with God, she makes her move. And in verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I like the translation that says, may it be to me as you have said. Mary believes in God, the God who created the entire world, who delivered her people. She trusts in what this angel is telling her, that this child that she is going to carry will be called Jesus, son of the Most High. His kingdom will last forever. So she says, right, I'm in. I'm going to do this regardless of what it costs me, regardless of the shame or the disgrace. And that's another challenge for us this morning. Can we follow Mary's example? Can we surrender completely? You know, people sometimes say, well, I'd really like to be a Christian, but will I have to do this? Will I have to give up doing that? Will I have to pray? Will I have to give up my lifestyle that I like? Will I have to quit my job? Will I have to change my views on certain things? And it is important for us to, to consider what it will cost to be a Christian. Jesus himself in Luke 14 tells us to count the cost of discipleship. But I think, sadly, many people want to negotiate the cost rather than count it. You know, we're willing to give stuff up, but we're not willing to give up the right to determine what those things are. And that's a challenge to us today. When it comes to following Jesus, the hardest thing to give is in. 
When God says to Abraham, Abraham, leave your homeland, leave your country and follow me. Abraham says to him, where am I going? And God basically says, I'll show you later. God wants Abraham to give up the right to determine the best way for him to live. God is basically saying to him, I'll show you as you go. And I think God's saying that to to us today. You know, you don't know what way it's going to go, but God will show you as you surrender your life to him. You know, when we give our lives to Jesus, we have to, in some form, say what Mary said. I don't know, God, what you're going to ask of me, but I will do whatever you say in your word, whether I like it or not. We're not going to know ahead of time what God's asking us to do. An example, we all know in the Bible that we're not meant to lie. We're not meant to cheat. But what if we were to come into a situation, for example, in our workplace, where if we tell the truth, it could cost us our job, but if we tell a lie, it could save it. To follow the way of Christ might cost us dearly. So that's why we need to determine in our hearts today what we're going to do. We won't know in advance what the cost might be, but we must simply say, I don't know what's coming, but one thing I do know, I give up the right to decide whether or not I will do God's will, I will do it. And I believe God's speaking to some of us today. Some of us need to surrender our sense of comfort or control in some area of our life. Maybe it's our finances, maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something God's calling us to that we keep pushing away. And we need to be like Mary and say, may it be to me as you have said. And I think as I'm saying that this morning, some of you have a wee stirring in your heart. And you know the thing that God's pushing the button on. You know the thing that he's been whispering to you about. And today's an opportunity to respond as Mary did. And essentially you're going to be saying, God, I don't know what's going to happen, but I trust you. I trust you with this thing. Um, Joseph also had to surrender to God. And it's interesting if we compare Luke chapter 1, which gives us Mary's perspective, and Matthew chapter 1, which gives us Joseph's perspective. So Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. He obviously knows he's not the father. So he's decided, right, that's it. I'm going to break off this engagement. But an angel appears to Joseph and gives him his own message from God that he has to marry Mary anyway. Now, Joseph knew that if he married her, then everyone in their small town and their shame and honor society would know that this child had been conceived out of wedlock. So everyone is going to know either that those two have had sex outside marriage or that Mary's been unfaithful to Joseph. And whichever one of those options it was, it violated the social and moral norms of that culture. So they would forever be treated as second-class citizens in their society, and they and their children would be shunned by some people. But verse 24 in Matthew 1 says, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So what did it mean for Mary and Joseph to accept the word of the Lord and to say... We embrace the call to receive this child. We will accept whatever happens, whatever comes. What did it take for them literally to have God with us in their midst? I believe it took courage. 
Um, last week, Paul was talking about the conversation we had at the space conference with the 20s and the 30s. And he was talking about how we can have a concept, we can have a dream, we can have a vision from God, and that is really good. But to see that come to pass, we need commitment. We need to put one foot in front of the other. We need to do something about it. And when I was thinking about that, I thought the filling in that sandwich is actually courage. You have the concept, you have the dream, you have the vision, you need the commitment, but the thing you need in the middle is courage. And Joseph needed courage to obey. So when the angel said to him, marry her, he was saying, if Jesus comes into your life, you're going to be rejected. You'll have to kiss your reputation goodbye. But Joseph still did it. He still married her. And we can probably guess the conversations that he had with some of his friends you know, why did you marry her? You know, she was unfaithful to you. What is going on? And can you imagine Joseph trying to tell the truth? Well, you know, guys, I can explain. She's pregnant through the Holy Spirit. The angels told us about it in a dream. You know, his friends were probably not going to believe him. So he knew they'd always think badly of him. And I think some of us, if we follow Jesus wholeheartedly, we're going to have to walk in those same shoes as Mary and Joseph. You know, some of your friends, what you're saying to them will sound as unbelievable as what the angel story sounded to Mary and Joseph's friends. You know, if you're open about your faith in some social circles or professional circles, maybe people in your workplace, people in your football club, people at the gym, at the school gate, at school, at uni, some of them will not understand and maybe your reputation will suffer or people will not think well of you. You know, why did you think Jesus came into this world through a pregnant, unwed teenage girl in a patriarchal shame and honor culture? You know, God didn't have to do it that way. But maybe that was his way of saying, well, I don't do things as the world expects. That's the upside down nature of the kingdom of God. His power is made perfect in weakness. So our Savior, he wasn't born in a royal palace in a posh cradle with powerful people around him. He was born in a feeding trough to disgrace parents. Jesus wins salvation through weakness, suffering, and death on a cross. He achieves power and influence through sacrificial service. And if we have Jesus in our lives, we're called to share in his sufferings. You know, some of us, I think, are called to go into situations where we're out of our depth, where the Christian point of view is maybe not looked upon favorably. And I think just more and more in our world, it feels like that's going to happen. But God says to us, take courage, do not fear, receive Jesus, surrender. He will be your honor. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. So Mary and Joseph were so willing to be obedient and were called to respond like them, to obey unconditionally, to give up control of our lives, to drop our conditions. We need him to allow him to be our Lord, not just our consultant. He gives us commandments, not just recommendations. And Mary does one last thing that we can learn from, and I love this. She goes to Elizabeth, who speaks to her in the power of the Holy Spirit, as we said earlier. You know, that must have helped Mary so much. Imagine how she felt, a young, poor girl, not really thinking or understanding completely what is going on, not knowing what is going to happen next. 
So she goes to Elizabeth and this encourages her, this helps her see her situation in a new way. And as soon as Elizabeth has finished speaking, Mary breaks into this magnificent song that's really famous. She begins to worship and adore God with all of her heart. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In this song, Mary goes back through the Old Testament, through Psalms, Isaiah, Prophets. She's making remarkable connections that reveal the coming of the Messiah. And that all happens because she visits Elizabeth, because they talk together, because they worship together, because they pray together. And I think as we join together in community, as we worship together, as we talk, as we pray, as we share God's love, as we speak into each other's lives, that can change our perspective on things completely. And someone was chatting to me at the women's conference last weekend who's going through a really tough family situation. And we were talking about it. We were praying. We were obviously in God's presence as we were worshiping at the conference. And I saw her the other day and she said, you know, my circumstances haven't changed. What's going on in my family is still terrible. But I feel different because she'd met with God, because she'd been in his presence worshiping and shared with other people. Insight and revelation comes when we get together. So like Mary, we need to think intensely, doubt openly, surrender completely. But we can't do that on our own. We need trusted friends around us. And we've said that so many times in this church. Um, and I'm so glad that we have each other to get through tough times and to just spur each other on whenever we do receive that vision, that revelation, that we're cheering each other on and saying, go for it, you can do it. So Mary was a nobody who became greater than everybody simply because God came to her and she responded in a humble way. She reasoned intensely, she doubted openly, she surrendered completely, and she connected with others. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, which of those or all of those do you need to do today? Which of those things do you need to come before God and do as he speaks to you? I finish again with this picture. So Mary trusted God more than what her eyes can see. And she believed. I am God's servant, she said. Whatever God says, I will do.